You know, one of the most exciting things about working with Gun.io is I get to work with some of the most important consumer brands and fitness brands and enterprise brands. And what you find is that they're all looking for the very best talent and they're competing for it. And one thing I tell clients all the time is that, hey, you know, if you can develop um, the mindset to, to hire remote freelance engineers, what you're going to find is that it opens up the pool of available talent because you're not going to have to fight over the same group of FTEs from all the other companies in your space. And so now what we can do is bring you a cohort of people that other companies aren't competing with you against. And it's really a competitive advantage to take stock of that and find some excellent people you can bring on board. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Hey, Chris, man. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Cool. Uh, why don't you, you know, give a little background story of uh, yourself you know, and your work so uh, the audience can get to know where you're coming from and what you've done. Yeah, so I've uh, I've been working in the restaurant industry or the restaurant technology industry for the last um, roughly you know, twelve or thirteen years, and uh, started my own company with a couple of partners. We did uh, loyalty and marketing automation. Um, worked with many of the fast food brands in America that you know, uh, building mobile apps, doing loyalty, figuring out what people eat at fast food restaurants, and helping um, which which we typically call call them QSRs and helping them understand their customers to both build better products, increase average ticket um, and that sort of thing. Sold my company in 2016 to Heartland Payment Systems, which was subsequently bought by Global Payment Systems. And um, you know, now we're, a, uh, now we're a, a business unit within Global Payment Systems and, and a company who's actively trying to turn themselves into a software-led uh, payments company, credit card processing company. And uh, to that effect, we're, we're working to bring 60% of our revenue in from software sales. Wow. All right. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, restaurants, like everybody's been, you know, there, we all interact with it. There's, I don't know, there's a million approaches to this point of sale, right? You know, I just think we all wish sometimes it would be better. So, you know, what's, what's on the cutting edge here? So for us, uh, obviously, there's a big shift for restaurants to move to the cloud, uh, especially enterprise restaurants. There's some very old legacy players in this space that typically run on a Windows installed platform. Um, and we're in the process of building a new platform, which is OS agnostic, uh, really modern technology, a lot of uh, JavaScript, you know, Angular and Node uh, built around a, built around a uh, Cordova uh, application on, on iOS and Android and an Electron application on other OSs uh, to become the restaurant POS of the future. So it's a serverless point of sale system that um, allows you to uh, allows you to use your legacy hardware investment, which is really important to these restaurants, which might have six or 7,000 stores as a footprint, um, and, and then begin to leverage up new technologies and, and sort of build a bridge to uh, what otherwise would be somebody that looks like Revel or, or Square, some of the new entrants in this space. And you talked before we hit record here, you, you talked about the uh, applications of blockchain, which is always interesting to the audience because, you know, there's, there's so much hype on blockchain. Uh, but, 
you know, how are you actually using it to, you know, do real things in, in a scalable fashion for, you know, real businesses? Yeah. So we, we're, uh, we filed a patent on, uh, using or employing the blockchain, um, in the POS transaction ledger. Um, basically, uh, older POS systems or, or most POS systems. In fact, the reason why they started was to, um, to have this thing called a non-resettable total, basically, a bartender, the original POS is a bartender built a kind of a button that couldn't go backward uh, to count the number of beers that were sold uh, so that they could ensure that the bartenders weren't stealing. Um, and the, the, the POS has the need to make sure that the data, the data we're collecting and the actors in that uh, system are, are not being tampered with. So uh, Blockchain allows us to cryptographically sign the the pieces and parts of those transaction records that are coming in. Things like what am I selling? What are my time punch hours? Uh, various other uh, parts of the POS system, and uh, ensure that there's a proof of work that makes up a business day. And this this allows us to ensure, hey, if the if the chain was tampered with, or if the uh, um, if the terminals go offline and have to come back together uh, without a centralized service or server in the store, uh, we're able to do this in a seamless fashion and ensure that the, uh, the integrity of the data is, is kept. I imagine that's not the sale that you give directly to the, the restaurant because they probably want to understand what many of those things mean there. So the objective there is the business case is, is higher integrity and less loss of money, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to, you know, ensuring that the transactions that are recorded uh, in the store really came from that store and that um, no one went back later and tampered with the data and potentially uh, tried to commit any fraud. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a common a common thing that happens in restaurants. So you, you really want to avoid the any possibility of theft uh, and, and, and have a very secure system from that perspective. You talked also about the voice applications and, uh, and AI. I thought that that was interesting. Love to hear that story too. Yeah. So uh, along with this new point of sale system we're building, uh, we, we've recently acquired a company called Psycom and they had a lot of uh, hardware um, and drive-through uh, technology. And so we're building what, we, what we're calling the drive-through of the future. And so if you look at QSR or... Um, that space, quick service restaurant space, the the drive through. If you think about it, really, from your own personal experiences, hasn't changed and hasn't been disrupted in the last, say, uh, thirty years. Um, and the so what we're working on here is really just bringing modern technology into that space. So simple things like license plate recognition, which have been around for a long time, uh, but but connecting that to the point of sale system, so the point of sales camera aware aware of the car and then can say, Hey, look, you know, uh, I realize you ordered this last time. Would you like to order that again? And perhaps upsell you to a shake or something like that, uh, in the process, uh, right there on the screen you're looking at. Uh, so the menu board changes and it says, Hey, this is what you always ordered. You want to order that again. The conversation becomes much shorter. Um, and for these restaurants, uh, the amount of time that uh, someone's waiting at that drive-through is a real critical part of their business. They, um, they, they are looking to move as many people through that line as fast as possible during that lunch rush. Uh, the other thing we're working on in this space is uh, voice recognition. So as you think about how uh, Google Home and Alexa have changed our, our lives uh, in our houses and in our personal lives, we, 
bringing that to an enterprise scale for the restaurant industry means being able to take orders uh, directly by way of voice recognition, uh, understand what you've asked for, um, make sure to, to do a consistent job uh, as far as how they communicate with you, confirm in a digital fashion, you know, visually, hey, this is your order, I got it right, and, and take your order. It means a change in the way that restaurants uh, employ their folks and, and what those team members are doing uh, out in the out in the stores, and so we think this is going to be at least just those two things alone, let alone other things we're doing, are going to be really big game changers for uh, the restaurant industry and uh, really uh, the U.S. economy as a whole over the very long term. If you think about it, yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a you know sort of immediate use case, depending on where you fall. You know, it's, it's, uh, well, this is great if I'm business and I get to you know eliminate some some hourly people. Of course, you know if you're of the disposition that computers should not take over jobs, then, you know, that's going to be a, a tough pill to swallow. So I imagine you have uh, people looking at the business, you know, sort of different lenses on, you know, what you're building and how, and, you know, what the implications will be. Yeah, I think, I mean, some of our customers uh, really think that the the part of their brand definite or, or their brand is that customer consumer interaction and that customer service factor that, uh, that their employees bring to the equation. And so uh, they have been less uh, interested in bringing in things like kiosks and uh, this kind of technology to their brand. Uh, but the, the increase in hourly wages and labor costs, especially in urban markets, uh, has, has got everyone trying to think differently about how, how to run their businesses. And labor is a big factor in restaurant sales. Yeah, absolutely. A restaurant profitability. So, I mean, you're taking on some major players here. I mean, everybody knows the squares and the the clovers and, you know, uh, the entrenched, you know, rebels and all these, these big, big players. How do you, you know, tactically go about that? It's easy to, you know, sort of visualize what it ought to be on, on the whiteboard. But, I mean, you're really building and deploying this stuff. What does that look like from a organizational and engineering standpoint? Yeah, I think one of the most important things to note about those other POS systems is that they are targeting a smaller market in terms of just the scale, uh, typically going after a single store or, or just a few stores. Uh, and we we are typically targeting the largest enterprise customers, um, brands that you know that are all Fortune 500. Uh, we do business with 19 of the top 40 food brands in the U.S. And uh, and so we have it's, – it's a different uh, – product that those those folks are looking for and they're also looking for this market expertise that we bring to the table with 30 years of experience uh, but but wanting to refresh their technology in terms of how we build it we in order to compete uh you know th these companies have just had massive investment in this space uh many of them over 100 million dollars some of them over 200 million and our focus has really been to try and scale up agile teams. Uh, we do the work onshore and off, uh, working uh, nearly around the clock. And uh, we take a lot of uh, time to think about how we, when we engineer products and when we engineer the next thing that we're working on to isolate the uh, abilities or the, or the needs of those teams down to the smallest common denominator and try to make them less dependent on one another. So we use and employ the microservices architecture uh, model. We use a lot of uh, AWS. Um, 
uh, Lambda and uh, Elastic Container Services. So images are container, containerizing our code and, and try to build contract relationships between those various development teams so that they can run independently. They can have their own sprint cycles. Um, they can deploy when it makes sense. Uh, we use a tremendous amount of QA automation and uh, those things together allow us to do things like uh, releases twice a week. Whereas uh, in this space, our competitors are having to ship Windows installer files out to the field. And really those restaurants then have to take those Windows installer files and really look at them uh, and don't have that same CICD modern pipeline approach that we've been able to employ here. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of work that's been uh, going into how do we scale this and making sure that uh, to whatever extent our teams can run independently. Right. And how do you, how do you get the feedback chain back to so many engineers through the the product function or, you know, a customer feedback or any, you know, I, I go immediately to thinking like, you're not dealing with people, um, you know, on the end user front that, that typically would have, you know, technology degrees or maybe even be, you know, your, your digital native types. So, you know, small changes in, in interface can make a huge difference in flow. Um, how do you assimilate all that? We do uh, a lot of interesting things as it goes. Uh, you know, first, we obviously have conversations and deep relationships with these customers. Uh, many of them uh, span everything from technology to marketing to operations, uh, meaning, you know, the people that actually train the, the, the team members that work out in the restaurants are part of who we talk to. But that said, we can't just rely on that. We, we do a lot of logging and we uh, aggregate those logs together. Um, we, we're pretty heavy users of Elasticsearch and uh, Kibana. And we do a lot of anomaly detection. So we look for things like, hey, how long does it take on average a cashier to step through uh, uh, an order? Uh, and which cashiers do it faster? And sort of what's their flow? Uh, maybe what menu setups are faster than others. And we do A-B testing related to that. And then uh, from from just a log aggregation perspective, we're watching to see our builds faster or slower. We do performance testing before we roll out to the field. And then once out in the field, we're watching all these things to figure out, hey, uh, ca- how can we be proactive to our market um, so that instead of having someone call us, a restaurants are running business, any kind of disruption in their ability to, to operate is cost to uh, our customers. And so we've really taken advantage of this new technology to say, hey, let's get um, anomaly reports in the morning, uh, bring it to our customer facing teams and pick up the phone and call places, call restaurants and say, hey, I noticed that you had 12 application restarts yesterday. Um, let's have a conversation about what's going on with Terminal 4. And, and proactively help people uh, resolve their business problems before it turns into a support ticket or a phone call and really impacts restaurant operations. Because perhaps that cashier didn't think to pick up the phone and call the help desk, um, and that problem will continue to get worse until, until someone actively addresses it. We can be the other side of that coin and, and provide a new value that our customers just previously, previously have not been able to, uh, to yeah, see. Yeah, I think if you've ever use a, a POS, you get this sort of like, especially in a rapid environment of a high order churn like that, you're going to get this muscle memory thing where like even moving a single button makes a tremendous difference in the ability to, to process. So you must have like a lot of 
UX analysis there going on. Uh, and, and maybe there are some UX choices that are getting grained into the, the brain that you maybe can't undo, even though you know it, it could be a better choice because undoing that muscle memory, you know, actually matters for, for speed. How do you like make those balances? That's a really good question, actually. Um, the, we do employ uh, a number of UX UI folks, uh, and we, we even employ a PhD uh, in that field uh, for that specific purpose to look at the order flow and how to make sure we have the optimal uh, configuration for speed of service. We brought, into, we brought to market something called conversational ordering, where guests can sort of tell you what they want out of order from what the system uh, is expecting rather than saying, Hey, I want that sandwich. And then someone asking you, well, what side do you want with that? You can talk about the side first and we can load up the meal as you go. And the cashier doesn't have to go and do and perform specific actions in a specific way. Uh, or if you want to move, you say, Hey, I want a number five. And then you move on to the next meal you're talking about that cashier's prompted to go back and say, Hey, what drink did you want with your number five? So there's a lot of thought that goes into that. Um, and you're absolutely right in that sometimes you make decisions on the UI side that uh, confuse confuse the end user and and don't test out well and you roll it back. So all, all of our customers, all of the folks in this space will roll any new uh, change like that out to a small subset of restaurants and they will monitor those business, uh, those business values, drive through time waiting, uh, you know, cashier input time, uh, just overall profitability in those stores in, in a small subset before making the decision to roll out new software to a broader subset, which again is, it's totally different than say, uh, the way that, uh, our, our competitors that are working with smaller businesses work in this space. Everybody gets the same version of square. Well, in our case, we allow our customers by location to choose what version of software to put there. Um, and due to the nature of the way we designed the platform, it's got a shell application that drags down all these uh, business logic components from the cloud. Uh, you can run a different version of software in uh, restaurant one, two, three than you run in the rest of your business and allow that restaurant to test it and to roll back as a drop down menu and a button click. Uh, again, much different than the Windows uh, re imaging of systems or potentially reinstalling components and parts uh, in compiled software that we used to have to work with. Um, in the previous environment. So we think it's going to be very drastic and very meaningful to our customers around cost of ownership uh, as compared to what they're doing today. Maybe tips for people that are developing, um, you know, high utilization UIs. I mean, this, this type of analytics gathering of every single button and interaction on this is very useful for, you know, any business. It's not unique to uh, the restaurant use case. Any recommendations that, you know, it's just like, how do you, figure this out. And, and you mentioned having grown from, you know, 10 engineers to, to 400, you know, so these practices are applicable in, in small teams, you know, as well as, as you develop from the product perspective in order to be ready to scale. I just wonder what some of those learnings and, you know, how did you deal with the massive inflow of, of feedback and data? Yeah, I think the the most important step you know, before you go live is to take people who've never seen what you're building, put them in a room. Uh, in our case, you know, we found cashiers, uh, you know, put them in a room, ask them to perform specific tasks around mockups for the UI and watch where they got lost so that we went out and redesigned those parts and pieces before anybody put any code uh, 
uh, into action. Um, the other thing that we do is is watch the analytics. Uh, I mean, it's so important to realize that you probably didn't get it right the first time and just continuously watch that data coming back uh, from how your users use the product. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, I've seen this all too often where folks will come out with a brand new UI because it looks better um, and forget that they did a lot of tuning and tweaking to what they have out in the field that's gotten a conversion rate or gotten a specific user action to be as efficient as and as desirable as they want it to be. And so you almost have to start all over again. I mean, those are the things that you want to A-B test and really think about before you make those changes, especially when you have you know, incoming revenue and a, and a running business. Uh, you just need to to slow down and say, okay, how do I deploy this? Rather than, you know, it's very exciting. I've got this new design. We think it's amazing internally, but we often forget that the market is really our customer. And, uh, we need to make sure that it actually is better for the customer rather than just that it looks better. I think that's something that as technologists, we, we tend to, we tend to forget when we get excited about that new thing. We're is watching. there a level of better that just becomes reached? You know, I think in agile, we have this idea that, you know, well, we're just going to iterate forever and AB test to the limit of everything. But, you know, is with that much data and that much input and, and, you know, sort of, um, surface area in the marketplace, do you ever reach done? It seems like, you know, you know might be able to approximate the mythical done, you know, with, <laughs> with that much input and data. Yeah. I, I think, I think what you reach is a place where the returns uh, on the investment are not strong enough to justify further investment. So perhaps you're not done with the overall product, but one area isn't going to generate more value for your customer or more value for us as a, as a uh, delivery, you know, as a software partner. And so you get to a place where you say, okay, I've got something that's working. And now to go find more to get here, I've got to go look somewhere else. And a prime example of that is the drive-through conversation we were just having where uh, we could do a lot more work on the POS itself. But the reality is if we change the consumer experience in the drive-through, 60% of those typical uh, QSR restaurants, 60% of those sales are coming through the drive-thru. It has a much more meaningful impact if we get that right than it does if we move some buttons around on the point of sale. And so you 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 have to look at the whole thing in context. And sometimes it takes just stepping back and saying, what's the right thing to spend your time on? And focus is such a critical component um, of any product and project like this. If you're a startup, it's even more so. You have such a limited amount of resources. You've got to really focus in on what's important, what's going to drive uh, the, the next sale, what's going to drive that right conversation. And that, it's not just let's iterate and get better. It's, it's got to be on the right thing or, or, or you, you won't succeed. You won't have a business that goes and, and generates revenue. Great thoughts. I guess I'll, I'll leave it there. Chris, it's... Uh... Cool to have you on. You know, congrats on the success, and uh, I know I look forward to having a better drive-through experience every time my kid wants a McDonald's breakfast or something. So. <laughs> Thanks. It was really fun to be on. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us. Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.
Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.